Welcome to Dad, I'd Like to Friend. I'm your host, Kevin Selden. And if this is your first time joining us, please do not forget to subscribe. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a dad with an extremely fascinating path to fatherhood from one of the most eye-opening interviews I have ever done. Let's dive in. (laughs) Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so your story is insanely fascinating and inspiring. So you were married to a man and living life as a woman. Mm -hmm. You gave birth to four children. Yep. You were miserable. Yeah. You fell in love with your best friend, who was a woman. Mm -hmm. You came out as a lesbian and ended your marriage. You then got married to your best friend Mm -hmm. and decided to live your truth as a man. Yeah. And you became trans or is... I transitioned. You transitioned. And is the term, because we discussed this in the Mm pre-interview, you were... I was always a man. I was assigned female at birth and I identified as a woman at times and I lived life, I, I call it in girl mode, like a, like a video game, you know, just putting on my skin. I'm in girl mode. Yeah. And then I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. Living happy is more important. I think that's beautiful. So in telling that narrative, the reason that we kind of jumped through that is because there's so many fascinating things to talk about now. And there's so much to that that I wanted to get that out in the front. I like it. Your story is incredible. And for our listeners, there have been many interviews with you that discuss many of the different logistics and details of your story. If you want to know all about surgery, you just go deep dive, you can find exactly. it. <laughs> but what I'm most intrigued about for our listeners is your life experience as both a mother and father. And I I feel like you can give the most unique perspective on gender bias. And for me as a man, I I like being a man. I I have always felt comfortable in my skin. Yet the first time, and I know how privileged this is, the first time I felt kind of angry at the world was when I became a father and no one would treat me in any way like I mattered at all. Yes, exactly. And um, and I took off that you first year. You were just year. a sperm donor and a paycheck for a while. <laughs> you know, <That's> the <laughs> doctors would not acknowledge me. I mean, I'm a good dad. And mm-hmm. I think Laura and I would both agree that I I, I actually – Um, take on more of the emotional role in our home. And yet I'm just disregarded by society on the home front on a regular basis. And I think I am not the minority. No, I think there are so many of us. And I'm just curious to know, and and we'll get a little deeper into this, but I, I read somewhere that you had said that you've been given more praise as an involved father than you oh, yes. ever did as an involved mom. Yeah, your parenting style and involvement stayed exactly the same. And I kind of want to start there. Yeah, it, it used to be, especially in, in the suburbs, like we live out uh, on a hippie island now, so it's not as big of a deal here. Everyone's, no one works and it's fine and it's great and whatever. But uh, <laughs> before, when we were in the suburbs, it was like a real panty dropper. They, I would show up to the like drop-off line or I'd, I'd go to a 
field trip and like the other moms would be doting upon me. The idea that like a dad would show up and be that involved in you know, Alberta is a conservative. It's like our our Texas of the North. Uh, so it's like a more conservative place. It's got a lot of stay-at-home moms. And that the dad was there was just like so sexy to people. But when I showed up as a mom, like, you know, everyone could be perfect. Everything is great. But I like forgot a form and I'd be shamed. I show up as a dad and like the kids have the wrong shoes. Like they're they're mismatching shoes. They have no socks. They They don't have a water bottle. Their mask is like dirty and people are like, oh my God, you're so good. I can't believe you're here. And you're just like, mm, you have low standards, people. That's interesting. So I, I do hear that perspective. I have found that almost, and this is my insecurities, mm-hmm. but that it's even less about they shame the moms and they congratulate the dads. It's more about the fact that they don't expect anything from the dads, which yeah. actually is very insulting to me. Like that you you don't shame me because you didn't even expect that I would be capable of doing the multitude of things that I do. It's and sort when of I, like women in the workplace. It's the exact same experience. Basically what you're experiencing is what it is like to not be the default. That's fascinating. And that's uncomfortable. It sucks to be the person who isn't the norm, who isn't the default, what we assume is best. And it's one of the reasons the you know the reason i almost didn't transition the only reason that stopped me from transitioning was the giving up the title of mom wow now we discussed in the pre-interview that in the past i've heard you speak about men as a man mm-hmm. in a slightly negative light and maybe that was because of past pain that you experienced maybe that was just because of you know societal norms that you have witnessed but you did then make the choice to truly showcase to the world who you felt you were on the inside always. And I'm curious to know if you have found that men deserve a little more of a break than they're given sometimes. On the home front, because on I do understand front, yeah. in many other mm-hmm. areas, yeah. men get so many privileges mm-hmm. that it's absurd to say give it men is. a break. Yeah. It's sort of this thing where it's like we have to look at things as individual, though. It's uh, it's it's looking at things individually on the on the micro and then and then like as a whole on the macro. So when we look at the whole of society and like the over overarching thing, I don't really think men need a break. Sorry. Right. Right. But if we look at how do we raise better men, how do we raise uh, boys that turn into men who respect people? How do we raise boys who are better fathers than our fathers were than we are? Is that we show up and we have them in the home. And I think what happens sometimes is that women have this one place or moms will have this one place where they're assumed best. It's the only place in the world that women are assumed to be better right away. And they have this one spot and they're like, I'm fucking holding on to it because it's all I got. But that's not the case anymore. Oh, it's totally the case. Honestly, I wasn't a feminist until I transitioned. And it was one of the biggest fights my wife and I ever had was when I told her, I'm like, I'm not a feminist. I don't identify with that term. And she was like, I'm sorry, what? And I was like, yeah, feminists are like angry man haters. I'm not that. It's not that bad. And then I transitioned. And honestly, when 
I look at the way that I am treated now versus the way that I was treated then, it's it's like a whole different world. Literally, no one ever asks me to back anything I ever say up with facts. No one tries to negotiate rates with me in the same way. No one assumes that I don't know what I'm talking about. Everyone looks at me for my opinion instead of away from me because what would I know? Uh, it, it just is, it's like little things like the person at the table always still passes me the check when my wife and I are out to, to eat. When I go, when we go somewhere, they ask her what her husband does. They congratulate me on my beautiful wife. Like I had something to do with her outfit that day. Like there's all these things that still are happening. How does that apply when you walk into the school? Do they treat you like, can you tell your wife this? You know, I've heard the story of someone, a single dad who went into the ear doctor and the doctor said, can you have your wife call me? And he goes, well, why don't you just tell me? Cause I'm here. And he goes, it'll be easier to talk to your wife. And he says, there is no wife. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is something that a lot of men who are actively involved deal with on a daily basis. And everything you're saying about society, I could not agree more, mm-hmm. but you said in the pre-interview something that I very much agree mm-hmm. with, which is the concept of two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah. And it's something that I know that men have been privileged and it's obnoxious the way women have been treated in comparison to men for centuries. Mm-hmm. But does that discount the fact that men deserve now to be treated with respect on the home front when they're making an active effort instead of alienating them? I do think that the switch needs to change, right? Like I said, I... I didn't want to give up my title of mom. I didn't want to give that up because I knew that instinctively everyone would look at me as a lesser parent. And that's not fair. Right. That's not right. What I'm saying is, is it, it does need to be changed. You deserve respect. We all deserve respect as parents. It doesn't matter what your gender is. I don't care what body parts you have or how you identify. If you are loving and taking care of a child, providing for them, uh, being emotionally supportive for them. You need respect. You do. Right. You, you deserve it. Do I think that we have to be careful where respect and gold stars switch spots? And as we've said before, like the women's house is on fire. It is like burning down. They've had a lot of really crappy stuff, even in 2021. Even like, you know, regardless of your political affiliations, AOC being threatened like to be murdered and then being like, haha, it was a joke. That's not okay. Right. That's still happening now. But that doesn't mean that the man's house isn't suffering quietly in silence about to fall over and that we should just ignore it. Right. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of dads that I've encountered through this podcast who are on antidepressants yeah. and are on anti-anxiety meds and are not mm. talking to anyone about it because they don't want to cause a ruckus, because they don't want to sound like they're whining, because there's not a space. You know, and the pedestal of even providing creates the pressure that there isn't a space to talk about those things, because what if... I need a break and I can't provide. And then where is my value, right? You go from your value being what can you do for your family as a mom to how can you clean for us and cook for us and provide for us and take the mental load and like take care of the kids. And why can I be the only one that knows about an ear infection in in response to the dad? But then you put, you take that, but then you put all this other stuff on the dads where they're like, 
I can't have freedom. I can't choose what I actually love or who I actually want to be. I don't get to have friends because I should be working. I need to make money. I need to clean the house. I need to be a better person. Oh my God, I'm probably sexually harassing someone and I don't know it. Like there's all this pressure that is there on men too that women don't even understand exists. They can't even possibly comprehend the cages that we have put these men in. It's fascinating to hear you having lived both sides. I mean, I I never have wanted a gold star. Probably my wife would disagree. I'm sure that- We all want ego, gold like, yeah. stars, every single one of us. I do hear myself say it now. <laughs> but, but I do think what I want more than a gold star is to not be capped, mm-hmm. to not have the world say, well, that's all you're capable of. And that yeah. started for me when I decided to walk away from my career for a year mm-hmm. and become a stay-at-home dad because I, I was- very distraught and in pain from, um, you know, five years of infertility. And, mm-hmm. and when we finally had our dream come true, this was my dream for life. You yeah. know, you always knew you were a man. I always knew I was meant to be a dad. Yeah. And when it finally came to be, after years of people saying, it may not be in the cards for you, I was like, I don't care what society says. That was very hard for me to not be the provider. And well, Laura and I were both providing. Yeah. But- you know, there was a hit to my ego to not mm-hmm. be able to um, know what I was bringing in monetarily, to name drop my clients. Like there yeah. was just parts of me that society as a man backed me on. They had validated you your whole yes. life on those things and taught you that that's where your worth was. And I imagine that your wife had a lot of feelings of mom guilt, of abandoning her baby, even though she was leaving her baby in the other half of her baby's creator who was capable, loving, emotionally available, and just was doting, she still had people look at her like, I can't believe you came back to work and left your baby with your husband, right? I mean, there's so many societal crap that gets put on both sexes. It's all BS. And I think this podcast does exactly what you're you're meaning for it to do, is that you are bringing a place for all of these dads to come together and see their narrative shown somewhere. And that's that's all we want to do is see ourselves in a story where we go, oh, I'm not alone. And hopefully we have about 50% mom listeners. I really hope that a lot of moms can hear the dad story and go, oh, dads are not douches. Yeah. Dads are capable of a lot more. Dads are feeling the same thing as me. We're not that different. We aren't. And honestly, if I'm going to be real, I will say that I stole a lot from my ex-husband and I didn't realize it until after. What do you mean by that? That we, like, I stole experiences. I thought I was the only one that could take care of this baby. I was the only one that was nursing the baby. And that was like his experience growing up was that's what my job was supposed to be. And he didn't know what to do with the baby, but I didn't know what to do with the baby either. And I trained us that like I was the primary parent. I don't know that I necessarily needed to do that. I I do believe that if I had been more willing to empower rather than just do it myself because it was easier or I didn't, or honestly, because I didn't know how to empower. Did you listen to the last episode? That was literally the- I did. (laughs) But I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. And it was the, it was my job. So I had to be good at my job. 
And women are trained. This is uh, Rashma Sanjani. She wrote, like, the Girls Who Code thing. She's super awesome. She wrote a book called Brave Not Perfect or something like that. Um, And it's this this thing that is true, that women and girls are trained to be perfect. They're trained to be just right, to hold their hands just like so, to be quiet, to smile when they're supposed to and it's appropriate, to have the right answers, to sit nicely, to, like, just everything we are trained for is to be perfect. And everything that boys are trained for is to be brave. Boys are trained to get up and shake it off to a fault. Let, let's be clear. But like, they're, they're trained to like, don't take no for an answer. They're trained to go chase the girl. They're trained for all these ways that the bravery is the reward rather than the actual thing. But women are rewarded on the perfection, not the attempts. And so I think what happens is that none of us want to admit that we're not perfect at this one thing that we're supposed to be perfect at. Wow. Mind blown. Now let's, I want to hear how did your kids react to you transitioning and how do they react to gender roles in your home? Yeah. Um, So me transitioning wasn't a big deal. To be perfectly honest, it was the least interesting thing that happened in those, those three years to them. My ex and I divorcing was a huge deal. Of course. My wife and I blending families was huge. Moving her and our eldest from Portland up to Canada was huge. Uh, like those things were so much bigger that like my facial hair coming in and my voice changing were like not really that big of a deal. They sort of always saw me this way, I think. And so... Within a week, no one called me mom anymore. They just, they tried on like father and a Darth Vader voice. They called me papa for a while because they're like, oh, we could be French. And then dad just sort of stuck. And, you know, it, that was the easy part. That The like blending families is a real clusterfuck though. You know, <laughs> like, whoo, that's another, that's a whole other story. I do believe that kids just have this amazing lack of judgment and it's when other people... It doesn't mean anything to them. No one ever taught them that it was wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's the other mm-hmm. people who impose their opinions on them that make them question their natural inclination to not judge. Yeah. You know, they had questions. They asked weird things like, will you grow a beard that you can stroke when you're thinking? And like, <laughs> right? And like three days later, my other kid was like, so, um, dad about the penis do you grow one of those or and i was like no no sorry like it doesn't work like that i just unfortunately they don't just grow uh you know i heard you quote that one of your kids said you do you dad is that what i call you now yeah you you do you dad is that what i call you now yeah but and like and then they were like but can i eat that pepperoni (laughs) and you're like okay sure and like i had worked it up to this huge thing we had multiple therapy appointments about it. We had scripts. We had a plan. We were making pizzas. It was like a thing. It was like a six-month lead-up. Because I, my wife and I had socially transitioned long before she had started calling me he, him, and my name, and, like, in private. Um, before. She knew what was coming before we got married. It wasn't like it was like, surprise, baby. But it was this thing where, because the wait is so long, uh, to start medically transitioning. And honestly, it's an uncomfortable place to be socially transitioning without medically transitioning. It's a little more dangerous. And so 
I wasn't quite sure. I hadn't told the world yet. And I, but we tried it on at home first. So I, just for our listeners, yeah. what you're saying, it, what it sounds like to me is you're saying mm-hmm. to change the pronoun for others to hear without visually representing what people mm-hmm. traditionally associate with that gender. Yeah. Yeah. Because if people are identifying me from looking at me as female, but then I identify as male and use he, him pronouns, all of a sudden things get tricky. I've been strip searched in an airport. I have like, I've had all the weird shit happen to me that you're just like, no, how? But it, it doesn't happen anymore because I pass. I have that that privilege of looking as though I was born male and am male and have always been male. Um, it shouldn't be a privilege, but it is. And so we we practiced at home first, I guess. I I mean, what I love about your story is it's such an amazing representation of love is love, and it shine. It's not about gender. You and your wife fell in love with each other, and it doesn't matter what gender each of you were. And each of Mm -hmm. you has been with a man, and each of you has been with a woman, and Mm -hmm. your ex-husband is now gay. And everyone just kind of found their way, but the thing that carried everyone through is connection to each other and love. Yeah, and it was messy. Of course it was messy. Getting divorced is messy. No one is their very best self when they're messy. And I always tell people, Chris and I now have this great relationship. That's your ex-husband. Yeah, my ex. Uh, We go to concerts together still. We like text each other when we see things that we think that the other one would like. We're really good friends now, but it took a while to get there. And if I were to hold everything against him that was said in a moment where he was the most hurt he'd ever been and the most scared he'd ever been in his whole life, that wouldn't really be fair, would it? I mean, I mean, but kudos to you, and I'm sure you've heard it before. Uh, yes, you, in essence, like blew up this home, but you were all miserable in that home. Yeah. And it was probably terrifying, but how many people live their whole lives in that horrifically depressed environment mm-hmm. instead of risking it all to be happy? Yeah, and I have one of my best friends told me once that her parents got divorced when she was like 22. And 25, maybe. And it broke her heart because she was like, oh my God, my whole childhood was a lie. They were just staying together, hating each other for me and my brothers. And like the whole friggin' thing was just a lie. None of it, every moment that they were happy, they weren't. They hated each other all alone. I can't imagine And that's true. I can't, yeah. but that is her remembering of it. And yeah. that is the tainted thought that is in her head and I thought to myself I don't want my children to have that I don't want them to think that like I didn't live my life because I needed to stay in some box for them like that is not what I would want for them it's not what I want for me it's not the relationship I want them to look back on and I think in that case it may have actually been true but I don't know but I you know um but I was, that gave me this like, yeah, okay, you're right. I need to do, because my thought was like, well, I'll just wait till they're older and then I'll be my true self. And, and I was like, well, that's kind of stupid because then I'm losing all these years of my kids getting to know who I really am. I could not agree more. I think it's, it is terrifying, but it's also what a great way to represent bravery to your kids. 
they they definitely all are like, I know, I know, be myself. Uh, like they've heard it <laughs> enough, right? Like, I mean, you once said yeah. that the pathway to happiness is found in a place of total vulnerability. And I, I did. I'm good. I, I like that. <laughs> I, I do very much want to discuss the co-parenting relationship, but first, because we're kind of hand in hand with that quote, I want to discuss masculinity. Mm. So, you know, we on this podcast discuss true masculinity, you know, the ability mm. to be vulnerable in front of your kids. And yeah. I'm just kind of curious to know how your thoughts on masculinity have evolved since living as a woman, but feeling like a man on the inside and now mm-hmm. actually living life as a man. What is your view? And I know you have some negative perspective on men and I'm now living as a man. Has it changed? How do you define masculinity? I don't know that I know how I would define it, but I would say that my views on it have become much more open that like true masculinity is about being there to guide and protect. Like, I think that that's like, that's like, you know, the masculine. It's like, we're guiders and protectors, but we're not like tellers what to do. We're not like, I have to protect with like my body. It's like, no, well, how do we provide space for our loved ones to show up as themselves? How do we protect them so that they can feel safe to show up as themselves? How do we provide a safe space for them to live in and be loved in? How do we uh, protect them from the emotional hurts that are out there? How, like, how do we provide all of those things and protect them from all of that? Not just how do we go off and fish and hunt and gather and bring a paycheck home? Like, it's not about that. But I love that because I, I think that also represents feminine role. In mm-hmm. some ways, and it shows how similar in modern day those two roles can be. Yeah. Have you ever read the book The Power by Naomi Alderman? I have not. Okay, so she's like a sci-fi writer, um, a British lady, super awesome. And she wrote this book, and the idea of it, it's like it happens like way in the future, and they found these relics and artifacts, but the this man is writing a story under a woman's pen name because now women are the dominant gender and they have a special power where they can shoot electricity or something out of their chests. It's strange, but (laughs) stick with me. Uh, And there there's like a, it's like this whole thing is like an alternate universe in the future where they're like, can you believe that they used to think that men were the better protectors and providers? women are the better protectors and providers. Men are the better nurturers because they don't have the like killing thing in them, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it shows that like, it doesn't matter who the the dominant gender is. It's still, we still end up in the same sort of dynamic. And the goal oh, that's is interesting. It just and it's swap. written by a woman feminist. It's so freaking cool. It's a really great, great read. So it's almost like it's less of the man's role and more everyone has a, role to fill and that's just how the cookies crumbled that's just how the the power dynamic amongst humans mammals species whatever crumbled that's fascinating it's a really cool read i like it a lot so okay now let's get into co-parenting so Mm -hmm. you have three parents the the father or technically yeah four three of us that are in the same place because the father of your wife's daughter yeah is a loving father but not as actively involved 
Yeah, he just he's in a different country, so he's a a virtual awesome guy, and then he comes in a couple times a year. So how do you handle the chaos of co-parenting that's hard enough with two people, but now with three, knowing that your ex-husband is now living kind of on the property with you? Very delicately um, is the answer. So we are really honest. We have State of the Union once a month family meetings, Chris, Catherine, and I, um, where we go out for dinner and we drink beer and we, all right, here's what happened. Here's what's coming up here. What was working for you? What's working for us? Here's when, what, this is the like cooking schedule. We all do two nights a week. Um, and before when Chris was coming in and out, it was more like he was here and he was like all in with the kids. And we were like, you're kind of a guest because you're just like here for like a week or two at a time. And then you go back to Calgary for a little bit and then you're back here. But now that he's here all the time, it's more like, you know, these are your nights that you're in charge, your primary parent. This is when you're cooking. This is when you're whatever. And we, we do have a system where we, where the kids always know who's parent A, which means if you need something, there's three of us here. Who's the one that's like the lead parent right now. And cause we all work from home. So there'll be like some, like, you know, during the summer, there'd be like post-it notes on all of our doors saying who parent A was. So the kids could be like, oh, okay, dad's parent C right now, daddy Chris's parent B, mom's parent A, cool. And you switch it around. And then we switch it around based on what everyone has going on. Yeah. Do you do it on each other's skill sets that you kind of each acknowledge or you just switch it? We switch based on skill. Sometimes it's just based on schedules and who has the most important day that day. Sometimes it's based on skill sets. Sometimes it's based on circadian rhythms. So for example, my wife does not get up before 9am. She, that is not her skill set. She is a, when we first got married, we were like, we had this lesbian dream that we were like two moms. We're going to head off into the sun's rise, taking the kids to school with hot coffees and teas, <laughs> loving each other, having great conversations. And literally we would like be at each other's throats by the end of it. Every fight we had in our first year of marriage happened on the drive home from school. And we were like, fuck that noise. I'm not doing this anymore. You're your worst self. I'm like, I wake up in the morning and I am happy to be alive. I'm like, hallelujah. We're here. We're doing it. Let's have a dance party. And she's like, don't look at me. The sun, it's too. And so I was like, you are harshing my vibe and I want none of it. Like we're having a good time here. And you're yelling at us all to be quiet. So go put your headphones back in. My wife would definitely mm. describe me as that in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, get out. Come after seven o'clock. It's like I instantly I'm like, I mm, have nothing left. And then come nine o'clock, I, we call it the crying hour. And that's when I get to the spot where I'm like, nothing's even worth living. Life. So I am 100% on from 530 in the morning until the kids go off to school. And then she does bedtime and middle of the night. Okay. That's our routine. My wife does morning and I do bedtime, middle of the night. But does Chris never miss not doing bedtime? On the nights where Catherine is cooking, he'll usually do bedtime. Okay. Gotcha. And then often what we'll do is like Catherine and I'll be like, all right, we're tagging out. And so he'll stay 
with the kids for the weekend and we'll go for like a couple's weekend. Oh, that's cool. Because I was going to – a topic we talk about with every guest is the importance mm-hmm. of support network. And what you mm-hmm. – you have a built-in support network in this amazing family structure you've created. Yeah. Because we were just like for us with five kids all the time, two people who own two businesses, who work from home, if we don't get time to connect, it doesn't happen. I mean, self-care could not be more important for the family dynamics you're describing. So we have so many systems. So you avoid the messy by scheduling it out pretty stringently and then allow opportunities for flow. There's so, and we're so flexible. There's lots of times where like dinner took forever to clean up. So for hangout tonight, we're going to do this and it's going to be shorter rather than do like our kids. We like to watch um, our older teenagers. They're like our, our hack of like having sex talks and stuff is we watch this show called Good Trouble and the Fosters with them. And it's like this like Disney plus version of like great stuff, but it has LGBTQ characters in it. Yeah. And like you get to see Callie make the mistakes and then pay for it six episodes later you don't have to give that life lesson because the show does it for you. And then you pause it and you're like, do you know what just happened there? And they're like, she lied to her moms and she's going to be in so much trouble. And why would she lie? She could have had help. Her moms would help her. And like, they get to have these like things on their own. It's our go-to. I have been talking about this a lot lately is the concept of if you want to do videos and media with your kids, a lot of people shame and at what age do you start? But I think as long as you're with them, that can be a learning experience and a dialogue. I love that. Great conversations. It's it's a much better segue into safe sex and fentanyl and the opioid crisis. And what do you do about that? And do you call us if someone's having an overdose? Yes, of course you do, even if you're scared. And do you have carte blanche? Do you have a secret text that you can send us that says, I need you to come pick me up, but my friends won't know? All of those things, right? We have all of those conversations, but they're natural instead of us nagging them about make sure you have a condom. <laughs> well, and, right? and then like, nagging them after not being there when they're, you know, I think that it takes a lot of effort. A lot of parents will hear what you just said mm-hmm. and go, I don't want to sit and watch a TV show with them, but that's the bond that mm-hmm. makes it not a nag later when you exactly. bring it up. When you're like, oh, that thing that Callie, Callie did, that was like, you know, you have these characters that feel like they feel like they're real friends going through the same yeah. things that they're going through. And they will be like, the other day, one of our kids was like, you know, I kind of feel like Jesus does sometimes. And I was like, yeah, tell me about that. But it was like this really easy opening to tell me how he felt about something vulnerable and scary without having to say all the words i love and and you don't just have to do it with tv you can do it with a book you can do it with so many things but it's just experiencing things with your kids Mm -hmm. that active engagement it creates a bond that allows them to feel comfortable when things get awkward yeah and when our kids were smaller we did it with stories so we every night we would sit and read books to them we don't like we'd have a family book going all the time and you read a chapter and it would be whatever and we do that with our younger kids still that's part of Catherine's bedtime thing is the, right now they're reading through the little house on the prairie series or whatever but you know it's we have these moments of connection that just built into our day yeah so it doesn't slip away because it's so easy to get busy it's so easy like 
you know, now our kids have rowing practice and circus practice and skate parks and like friends and sleepovers. So we have to have these constants built in, these rhythms of like connection and ritual and tradition built in or they disappear. Now, do you ever, I know we've discussed that the roles are very fluid and you you have created a structure that allows for freedom for all three of you as parents to really thrive. But I did see a video where you and your wife were kind of arguing about who knows best, having both <laughs> lived the mom role. And I'm curious to know, do you ever miss the the way society views you as a mom? Of course. I Of course I do. Because it's that like... Who doesn't like being personified as a hero, right? Like that moms are the thankless hero. I miss that, but I also love who I am. And my kids and I have the exact same relationship. And what I love for dads to know is that you don't have to birth your kid to have that relationship with them. You don't have to like, you know, my oldest, I didn't, even get to meet her until she was eight. And honestly, I feel just as bonded to her as any of my other kids, if not more sometimes. Like she is, I would step in front of a train times 10 for that kid. She is just as much mine. I didn't birth her. That's your wife's daughter. Yeah. She comes to me often before she goes to her her mom because there's certain things where she's like, you're just going to get this better, dad. And it's that thing that like, you don't need to have to have birthed them. You don't have to have the title of mom. You don't have to do any of that. You just have to fight for the connection. And it you do have to fight for it. It's right. true. It's just like women have to fight for equality in the workplace and for opportunities and for fair pay and for all of those things. You know, the wage gap still exists. They have to do it. Men have to show up and fight to have the same relationship with their children as moms do automatically. Now, I feel that there is a bond between a mom and their child because they did birth them. And a lot of us as dads don't have that natural thing. So when a kid calls for mommy, it's almost, it's biological. When you transitioned, do you feel that you lost that bond because you weren't the mom anymore or because you still birthed them? It didn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, I think that... Like my youngest, Mayhem, he will call for all three of us, depending on what he wants, just as equally. Your youngest um, name is Mayhem. So all of them, they, there's Mayhem and Wild and Epic and Danger. And then the oldest is Adventure. It's their middle names, um, technically. Yeah. But the oldest chose her own because she was like, this is some BS that they all have awesome middle names and mine's Faye. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also a wonderful middle name. Yes. But, you know, so she added it to her her list. But they go by their middle names, yeah. And and you never felt that um, that transitioning took away that natural biological bond that you had having given birth to them. No. And I do think, actually, Chris, my ex, he has a much higher bond with our younger two in some ways than our older two. Our older two and him are best friends, but I noticed the difference between Mayhem and him and even between Wild and him because we got divorced, we split when our youngest was four months old. 
And so he, a good, honestly, like kudos to him. He, I would have easily let him just be like, I mean, he's a baby. You should just keep him. I would have, I, I would have let him, but I never fought him. I always was like, you get access to the kids 50%. You are 50% their parent. I would never take our children from you. That is never my, my plan, my intention, my goal. It is always for you to be exactly as much of an, like part of their life as you want to be. And honestly, he will tell you that he is a much better father than he was before because there was no one to just be like, oh, I don't know what to do. So he had to figure it out. And honestly, he's a fucking great dad. He is. He's a great dad. I love that. What has been the toughest moment that you've experienced on this incredible parenting journey? I think the toughest part is knowing that it did make my kids life harder in some ways that like having a queer parent does add difficulty to them. Um, you know, it gives, it's like an easy target to be made fun of. It's a, it's a thing that like there, there's enough homophobia and transphobia in the world that even though we're a positive household and we live in a positive community, that like the undercurrent, the subconscious thing is that like men without a penis aren't really men. And, you know, that this, that like this makes you less than or different or weird. And that, that was the hardest thing is accepting that. But also I recognize that like, I mean, at least it's an easy target. That's not about them, right? Like it's not like they're making, gonna get, if someone wants to make fun of me instead of making fun of their nose or their stutter or their this or their that, cool, great, good on you. I'll take one for the team. <laughs> and they have three, extre- four extremely mm-hmm. loving parents And that's more than many people get. And gosh, if that's not a base of confidence and security to combat what the world throws at you, I don't know what is. I like to think so. There is so much more to touch on, but we, we are reaching our time. I will say that you are such a pleasure and such an example to so many parents, no matter their gender or the roles they fit into within their home. I think that you guys have kind of created your own rules and I think it's a very beautiful thing. Yeah, thank you. We we feel really lucky that we were able to put our feelings or like our emotions aside and come to like what we actually needed and what our kids needed. Uh, and not everyone has the privilege of having a partner or ex-partner who's willing to do that. What advice can you offer in closing to anyone out there who is just feeling like something's off in their life. And that doesn't necessarily mean gender, that mm-hmm. there is just something within their family that is wrong and is stopping them from being happy and free and living in joy. I think for me, it came down to, I had to get vulnerable and honest with myself. I knew I wasn't happy, but I wasn't willing to let myself feel why. Because that was too scary. Because if I knew that I wasn't happy and I let myself feel it, I would have to do something about it. And that is the scary part. And so at some point, I just got brave enough to say, who the hell am I? What do I even want with my life? And I just got really quiet and started to listen. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me, Nick. Thank you for having me. 
Before we go, Nick and I wanted to speak for a moment to anyone out there who might know someone questioning their gender identity. Nick? We know that kids who know who they are and are brave enough to say it are the most at risk in between the time in which they share that news with a trusted adult and when they start to transition and get help and seek action. And you have said that they are five times as likely to hurt themselves. They are. They're five times more likely to hurt themselves than the average, typical kid teen. And we know that with just one supportive adult and a step in the direction of movement, that kids come back down to the typical range of suicide attempts and mental health issues. One supportive adult. So one supportive adult can make a life-changing difference. As always, thank you for listening.